are we doing? Are we happy? Do we feel the presence of the Lord in the room? Come on. Let's keep worshiping and pray a little bit. Sound good? Why don't you just all bow your heads, close your eyes. Oh, I'm just let's just keep magnifying Jesus. Oh, you are our prized possession, King of glory. You are the welcomed guest of honor. And we thank you that you met us so tangibly and beautifully in worship today. I thank you that you are the, our defender, that the creator of all existence is our defender at an individual level. <laughs> we worship you, what a God. What a God, what a king, what a lover you are. And so, Lord, I just, I just ask that uh, your presence, even just in this message, Lord, that, that every word from you, may it be clear, and every word that is not, would you just wipe it away from our memory? And I thank you, Lord, that you love to use us humans. And so would you rest on us in a powerful way? We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Look at your neighbor and say, today is the day that the Lord has made. Look at your other neighbor and say, rejoice and be glad. Oh, come on. Wow. Can you imagine if we lived every single day? Like it was the day that the Lord has made. <laughs> Can you imagine the joy that would just exude from our lives? But the truth is the word of God says, today is the day that the Lord has made. So we rejoice and be glad. So there are things that are happening in you today that the Lord has predestined from the foundations of the earth because he loves you. Because today is the day that he has made for you. Amen. Cool. How many of you are excited for Easter? Oh my gosh. I don't know if you're like me, but when, when it's Easter week, I like turn into just this, I don't know. I like, I feel like I like to intercede a lot, but, but there's something that, that happens in me during when, as we approach Easter, where I just begin to get so excited. I'm like, Oh my gosh, like Lord souls. We got to pray for souls. We got to pray for, for, for souls and salvations to happen in our city. Are you with me? Like I, one of the things I, I think, uh, one of my favorite things about being a Christian is that it's Easter every day. That's why we get to rejoice each and every day that the Lord has made because it's Easter every day because he has risen from the grave. Amen. And there's something beautiful, though, about the global church when we come into memory of remembering the death and resurrection of Jesus, where I just feel like there's more juice on our prayers. You know what I'm saying? And so I just encourage you, as we just approach just praying as Easter comes, let's just be a church that prays and fights for salvations. 
Let's be, a, I, I, please come, come to prayer sets, come like in your homes, just pray that the Lord would save the lost. There are so many people that are lost in our own city. We don't need to go all the way to Pakistan to, to, for souls to get saved. We have souls in our city that need a touch from God. There is hopeless in our city. And I just believe that God wants to use us as a house and he wants to use a bunch of houses within this city to transform this city for the city of God. Amen. Come on. So let's pray. Amen. All right. I'm going to finish the ministry of the Lord series today. Does that sound okay? So last time I preached, I, I preached on, uh, on the priestly call. How many of you were here for that? Remember that? Essentially, uh, we feel like God is leading us as a church to a place where he is showing us that our first and primary call as Christians is to be priests unto him. Is to be ones who are set apart where our first priority, yes, we are moms, yes, we are dads, yes, we are vocational people, but our very first call as soon as we become a Christian is that our life is to be oriented around ministering to the heart of God. And so he's doing that in us, and I'm really, really excited for today's message. We're going to be in the book of Ephesians. How many of you love the book of Ephesians? Oh, man. It's one of my favorite books ever. Um, so just fair warning, okay? I'm going to be building for like probably 20 minutes just going over history and context of what's happening in the church at Ephesians. And you're going to be like, why are you talking about this? And I promise you we're going to land the plane, okay? I promise you, but you're just going to have to bear with me for a little bit. Sound good? Okay. History and context is important. Um, I, I feel like understanding what the original audience, how many of you know that many of Paul's letters were written to a specific audience? Did you know that? And so it's important to understand how the original audience would have heard the message because many times we actually will be able to find ourselves in these very, in the very text that the, it was written to. And so the, the church of Ephesus, are you ready for it? It's a crazy, crazy situation that's going on. But are we ready to hear a little bit about what's going on in Ephesus? Okay. So the book of Ephesians, it's a little bit different than a lot of the books that Paul wrote. Paul wrote Galatians, 1 and 2 Corinthians. And, and these books many times are, are responses to questions that these churches have been asking Paul. Right, But in the book of Ephesians, it's a little bit different. Uh, it is a book that is more general. Paul's not answering specific questions. Uh, but what many theologians believe is that this book of Ephesians was a book that was essentially foundational for many of the early churches. It was a book that um, he would send out in many little house churches all throughout Ephesus would be reading Paul's letters. There, in Ephesus, there was a bunch of house churches, about 15 to 30 people big, and Paul was writing this letter to them. And what we see in Ephesians is the first half of the book is Paul telling these people who they are in Jesus. He's telling them, this is who you already are. You may not know it yet, but the first three chapters of Ephesians is telling the people of Ephesus who they are in Jesus. And then the second half of Ephesians is all about now, therefore, because this is who you are in Jesus, this is how now you should live. And so 
it's important to understand what is happening in Ephesus right now. And what we know about Ephesus is that it is the second largest city in the Roman Empire. And, and therefore, it's a very metropolitan area. And because it's a metropolitan area, you have many, many, many different races, many tongues, many different religions and things going on. But because it was the second largest city in the Roman Empire, what we know is that it had Roman, the Greco-Roman culture woven deep into the identity of what the culture is. And the the whole premises of the Greco-Roman ideal is that the the Greco-Roman ideal worshipped the human body and the human glorification. It was a culture that saw value and importance in the physical human body and what the, the physical human body could achieve. Does that make sense? So... And this was inaugurated because in between the Old Testament and the New Testament, a man named Alexander the Great conquered the world. How many of you remember Alexander the Great in your old history classes, right? Alexander the Great was kind of an intense dude, okay? And he didn't want to just conquer land. Alexander the Great, what he wanted to do more than just conquer land is he actually wanted to change the way people thought, He wanted to take away individual freedoms and he wanted to create this singular um, philosophy for how humans were supposed to live. And so everywhere that Alexander the Great would go and conquer, he would set up plays, he would set up theater, he would change the art, he would set up gymnasiums, and he would use things in culture to communicate what the ideals that he was trying to create everywhere he went. Does that make sense? And so in this culture, because it's, it's in Rome, it's the second largest city in Rome, it was heavily, heavily influenced by pagan worship. And, a, and it was a culture that worshipped the human body. And if you did not look a certain way, act a certain way, if you were not intelligent, or if you were not a Roman citizen, you were considered a second-class citizen. Not good. And so the Jews, what would have been what? Second-class citizens. If you were a a, a woman, you were probably a second-class citizen. In the culture, and I'm going to share something that's a little bit PG-13, but just bear with me a little bit, just because I think it's important to talk about how messed up this culture is, because right now it kind of sounds a little bit like our culture, doesn't it? You know, how many of you have had the thought that man, we probably live in the day that is the hardest hour to be a Christian in the history of the world. Have we all thought that? Then we listen to the history and context of the early church and we're like, ooh, we got it easy. And so there was this practice that was done in Ephesus uh, called the exposure of infants. And it's this really, really terrible, terrible practice. But if you were a Roman citizen, and your child, your little baby was born, and if it had any deformities, or if it did not look the way that you wanted it to look, if it was a girl, you had the opportunity as a Roman citizen to take your little baby onto a mountain and expose it to the elements and leave it there for it to die. This was a very common practice. And what would happen is because slavery was a thing in this culture, 
people who couldn't afford to buy slaves would go to this mountain that was outside of Ephesus and they would take these deformed babies or these little girls that were just born that weren't the way the parents wanted them to be and they would raise them as slaves because it was cheaper to raise a slave than it was to buy a slave. Pretty jacked up, right? Heavy. And so... All of a sudden, that's the culture that this letter is written to. That if you don't look a certain way, you don't act a certain way, if you're not beautiful, you have no value. If you're not yoked, if you're not an axiom 24-7, just ripped, I'd be in trouble in Ephesus. Okay? If you didn't look and act a certain way, you had no value. But then the gospel hits Ephesus. And now all of a sudden, people are getting saved and transformed by the gospel of Jesus. And little house churches are starting everywhere throughout Ephesus. And in these little house churches, you have slave and slave master. In these house churches, you have Jew and you have Gentile. In these house churches, you have male and female, and they are trying to figure out what are the implications of this Jesus changing my life? How are we supposed to operate as this in this culture that is so different than this narrative of Jesus that we're hearing? And listen to what Paul says. Are you ready for this? Are you ready? Do you feel like the history and context is getting you ready for this? Oh, I'm so excited. I was nerding out so much on this. Can you tell? Okay. Oh, buckle up. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, Ephesians 1. We're going through the whole chapter tonight. How awesome is that? Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as he has chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us and accepted us in the beloved. Okay. So these people who are told your value, your blessedness comes from what you can perform to the gods. If you wanted to be blessed in this culture, the way you became blessed was by achieving more, by performing more for these gods. And yet Paul is writing to them and he says, time out. It's not about performance. He's saying before the foundations of the earth, you have been predestined and you are blessed with every spiritual blessing that is in Christ. 
You are adopted to these kids who are orphans, who are slaves. He's looking at them and saying, you don't have to perform your way into achievement, into relationship with God anymore. Before the foundations of the earth, you have been destined with blessing and you are adopted into the family of God. Oh, and you're made holy and blameless in his sight and there's nothing you can do about it. Paul speaking identity over these people. What, the, what is he doing? Paul is combating the narrative of culture. He's directly combating the narrative of culture that says to all the gods you have to perform for them. If you want to be blessed, give more money. If you want to be blessed, I don't know, perform, make more physical sacrifice. Paul's saying, no, no, no. You're blessed with every blessing that is in heaven now. Come on, who needed to hear that tonight? Oh, he's not done. He says, in him also, we have obtained an inheritance. Being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. That we who first trusted in Christ should be the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of salvation. In whom also having believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. So he's saying, not only are you blessed with every spiritual blessing, not only are you made pure and holy in his sight, not only are you adopted as a son, you also have an inheritance. Not only do you have this inheritance, but you are sealed with the Holy Spirit that is the guarantee of your inheritance. Can you imagine what would it, it would have been like for these people to have heard this truth spoken over their lives? Can you imagine the like, how confronting and how offended their mind would be at the story in the gospel of grace? When culture has been screaming one narrative to them their whole life, and now here's this apostle speaking to them. No, this man that has saved you, whose name is Jesus, he sent a spirit to make it guaranteed to you that you will live with him in inheritance and blessing all the days of your life. And I just like even felt like tonight, I'm just going to take a quick pause, that like, The fullness of heaven's inheritance is over each and every person in this room's life. You have an inheritance that is for you and you are blessed with every spiritual blessing that is in Christ. And can you imagine what the church of Jesus Christ would look like if we began living this out? If we actually believed what the word of God said, maybe, maybe the church would make known the manifold wisdom of God. I don't know about you. 
But I want to live in the fullness of what Jesus paid for. I want to live in the fullness of what he paid for. I don't want to live by what the narrative of culture is telling me. I want us, I long for us as the bride of Christ to live the narrative of the gospel. And the narrative of the gospel is that you have the fullness of God with you now because you have been sealed with the promise of God. Amen? Okay, we're about to get into the juice. But can you, one second, I I feel like I, I need to sit here. Can you imagine being abandoned and hearing this message? Like sometimes I think we get so familiar with the gospel that we hear it so much through all the YouTube sermons and and all the stuff that, that we forget that we were lost and now we were found. That we are the orphans that were abandoned on the, on the hill left to die. And yet Jesus came and he saved each and every one of us. Yeah. Okay. So Paul is releasing identity over this church because he knows they need to know their identity in order to live out the call that is what it means to be Christian. Because if we don't have our identity, we're in trouble. You know what I'm saying? You're probably wondering, how does this have anything to do with ministering to the Lord? I promise, I told you, we'll get there. So he's speaking identity over these people. And then in verse 15, he makes a transition. I need you to focus here, okay? He says, therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus... And your love for all the saints do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. So now Paul is praying and he prays that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the father of glory. Is that just not the coolest name? The father of glory. Come on, let's just shout to the father of glory. Thank you, Jesus. The Father of glory may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he was raised from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age that is to come. So after Paul releases identity over the church of Ephesians, he begins to intercede for them. And his prayer says, I pray that the spirit of wisdom and revelation would reveal to you 
knowledge of him, his calling, and his inheritance, and his power. Why does he do this? Paul knows that he can be communicating and he can be declaring over these people in Ephesus all he wants, that you are blessed with every spiritual blessing, that you have an inheritance, that you have this and that you have that. But unless you see him, it means nothing. Because seeing our view of God is the most important thing in our lives. Our view of him shapes every decision that we make. Our view of God changes and, and, and actually influences not only our worldview, but also how we view ourselves. And so Paul is saying, I pray that the spirit of wisdom and revelation would lead you into seeing him. Because when you see him, the truest part of yourself is revealed. The tr you cannot see who you truly are until you look into the eyes of Jesus. We live in a culture where we're seeking for our own truth and trying to discover what our own truth is. But the truth is your truth is found in Jesus. You are not a refurbished car with a new paint job. You are a new creation. You were dead and now you are alive. You are in Christ. If you want to see who you are, you need to see Jesus. We live in a culture that is breathing so many different narratives over our lives. We have culture that's screaming one narrative. We have our soul that's speaking another narrative. We have the enemy that's speaking a narrative. But yet there's a narrative that is the narrative of God that is over your life that says you are inside of me. And so Paul is essentially, this is why God is inviting us as a church to being a people who are more God conscious than we are people conscious. Because if we are God conscious, we will begin to see the truest part of ourselves. And when we see the truest part of ourselves, that informs the way that we love and nurture people around us. And so that's why God is inviting us to be a priestly people because a priestly people are people who minister to him. And when we minister to him, it what? When we sing praises to him, he enthrones the praises of our people and the spirit of wisdom and revelation exists wherever the spirit of God is. And so if you want to grow in wisdom and revelation, how many of you were like, I want, this, I want the spirit of wisdom and revelation? I want it. I want it more than anything. I want to see him. And if we want to see him, our first call and our first agenda in the church of Jesus is to be ones who are set apart, who look at him and minister to him. Because when we minister to him, he builds his, uh, he inhabits the praises of our people. That's where the spirit of wisdom and revelation are. And then we begin to see the truest parts of ourselves. And that doesn't just lead to more love of God, it leads also to more love of people. Don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying we're not supposed to love people. I'm saying we actually can't love people until we first love him. But, but the church, 
in America mostly today is about ministering to people. And this is not a bad thing. Ministering to people are good. It's a good thing. But that's why there is this focus. There's this focus. And I believe God is breathing into our house. Will you become a house of prayer? God is trying to build us not into just being a bunch of little mini houses. He is trying to build us into a spiritual house that when we gather, his presence comes and we leave as a spiritual house going into our city. And guess what? The spirit of wisdom and revelation now exists within us and on us. Oh, that's a good word. That's a lot better than that response was. Okay. I'm going to keep, keep going on this because I just want to absolutely drive it into your mind where you get annoyed with me. Just being honest. Is that okay? So Paul, in Ephesians 4, says, Because you have not learned Christ, because you have not learned Christ, you fall into deceitful ways. (laughs) How do you learn Christ? You learn Christ by seeing him. You learn Jesus. We have to learn Jesus. We have to learn all the facets of his face. We have to learn the stories of this book. We have to learn Jesus. And if we learn Jesus, then we begin to know what it means to be a little Christ in this world. Paul in chapter five says, I want you to speak to one another, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Have you ever realized how weird that is? That we are supposed to sing songs to one another. Song, why? Because when we are singing songs to one another unto him, it releases the spirit of revelation within our midst. God's trying to give us the biggest hack in ministry ever. He's saying, just create environments where my presence can dwell. And if my presence can dwell there, you're going to encounter who you really are. And therefore, everything's going to change. Yeah, we want to read self-help books and we want to do all this stuff and we want to try and figure out what's wrong with our soul, which I think is good. And pause, I'm going to go back to that. But really, we, when we do those before we seek his face, what is the point? Are you just trying to be a good moral human? God's not looking for moral humans because we will all make stupid mistakes all the days of our lives because we're human but God's trying to show us that you're in me so therefore you can't sin if you're in me you're going to live in purity if you're in me you're going to live holy if you're in me you're going to live righteous how many of you forget sometimes that you're in Jesus This week, I was at prayer. I wasn't leading it. Oh, man. I'm sitting right there, and the Lord says, the Lord says to me, AJ, you are what you eat. 
I was like, oh no, are you asking me to go on a diet? <laughs> Seriously, it was the first thing I said to him. I said, are you asking me to go on a diet, Lord? He said, no, you are what you eat. And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, well, AJ, you know, I'll be honest with you. It's like, you struggle. You're up and down with your weight constantly. When you eat bad, you gain weight. When you eat good, you lose weight. You are what you eat in my kingdom. If you eat me, you become me. If you listen to the narrative of culture, you become the narrative of culture. If you listen to the narrative of the enemy, you become the narrative of the enemy. Hey. Here's the truth. We as humans are always learning something. Whether conscious or subconscious. How many of you, after hanging out with somebody that you don't hang out with all the time, but you've spent a lot of time with them, you realize you start talking like them, but then it's not even a conscious thing. We're always picking things up. We're, we're taking information. There's so many narratives that are coming our way. There's the narrative of culture that says, find your truth, blah, 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 blah. There's the narrative of the enemy that says one thing. But then here's where I think we live mostly, and I want to clean up a statement that I made in a, in a few minutes ago. There's the narrative of our soul. And I believe the narrative of our soul is the narrative that we mostly live in. And the narrative of our soul is, is, is telling us is all the things in our past that have happened to us, the good and the bad, and they are what inform the way that we are currently living. Does that make sense? And so if I was abandoned as a kid, the narrative my soul is telling me all my life, AJ, they're going to leave you again. AJ, they're going to leave you again. And so therefore, then my actions... For me, as a pleaser, I begin to please people until they act the way to make sure they don't leave me. That's being in bondage to the narrative of your soul. See, the narrative, the, our soul is important and our soul communicates needs to us. And we actually need the Lord to sanctify the narrative of our soul. Because if we don't have the Lord come in and sanctify the narrative of our soul, we will be in bondage to the things of our past all the days of our life. That's how come people don't ever get free from fear. That's how come if you ever, how many of you have realized you've been stuck way too long in something before? Look at all across the room. That's probably because the narrative of your soul is winning rather than the narrative of what Jesus is speaking. And our church believes that we want God to come in and influence the narrative of the soul and heal our hearts, which is why we have how we love, which is why we have journey to wholeness, which is why we have all of these things, because the narrative of our soul is powerful, but we need Jesus to come in and win and declare wholeness over our souls. 
So many times we are praying for an encounter with God, a physical power encounter, and God's just like, yo, 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 I want to come in and heal your heart. Because if you just allow me to heal the broken wound that you have from your childhood trauma, actually freedom will come Will you'll learn even better how to be a minister unto me. Does that make sense? That's really good. Jesus wants to come. He wants to heal your soul. And he wants to reveal to you how powerful your spirit man is. Your spirit man is more powerful than your soul. And so what are you eating? You're going to eat the narrative of culture. You're going to eat the narrative of your soul. You're going to eat the narrative of Jesus. This is you are blessed with every spiritual blessing that is in Christ. That you have an inheritance, that you are a son. And that if you are in him, all things also are under your feet. Amen. Yeah. See how it all fits together? (laughs) That actually when we start caring about God, we start to see that he really cares about us. And then when he really cares about us and we really receive his love, it actually leads us to be better lovers. If we want to be a church in this valley that sees a move of God, let's be first people who make the one thing the one thing and consecrate ourselves to say, God, we will build you a spiritual house. God, we will be a church. We will be a people who seek first your face because we want to live in the presence where the spirit of wisdom and revelation live. And here's something that I feel like the Lord put on my heart that is important. The spirit of wisdom and revelation is not uh, a power encounter. We will forever be on a journey of Jesus revealing more of himself to us. How many of you know Jesus today better than you did 10 years ago? That's the spirit of revelation at work over time. And what God's looking for is people who will daily say yes to eating the daily bread that is Jesus. And as we daily look at him, we will become more fascinated with who he is. Because the living creatures are in heaven, eternally have one mission, singing holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. They never get bored of him. Why do they never get bored of him? Because there are so many facets of Jesus that he wants to reveal to his creation. They just have eyes to see. And because they have eyes to see, they never go bored. I think one of the number one things that plagues the church in America is this idea that church is boring. That being a Christian is boring. 
No, no, no. The king of glory is in the room every time we gather. The king of glory is with us. It could never be boring. What narrative are you listening to? I felt like, uh, this is kind of intense, but I think it's the Lord. And if it's not, he'll wipe it away. But I feel like there, there are people um, in the room tonight that have toxic people in your life that are feeding you narratives that are not of God. That you have friends and relationships that, that are not healthy for your walk with Jesus. What narrative are you listening to? Sometimes I think the problem with the church is we want it all. We want all, we want to live in the life that is Jesus and we also want to live in the narrative of this world, but it doesn't work like that in the kingdom. He is all or nothing. And I feel like there's people in here tonight that, that it's not that, I'm not saying that you, you shouldn't be a light to these people. You should absolutely be a light. But if they're having more influence on you than they are, than you are on them, then that's a sign of where you're actually at. Does that make sense? And so it's actually a yes to Jesus by saying no to relationships that are not good for you. It's actually a yes to Jesus when you choose to get rid of things that aren't good for your soul. I think one of the easiest ways that I think we can get, I'm being super serious. Everyone in the room, you have to take it to the Lord yourself. But I think one of the easiest ways to have, the, uh, to not allow the narrative of culture breathe in your life so much is by simply getting rid of social media. This is an individual conviction, but I'm just saying, I believe for every hour you spend on that, you need to be washing yourself with truth. What are you listening to more? Sometimes I think we wonder why we're not having breakthrough. It's like, well, what are you consuming? If you're consuming the narrative of culture more, you will become the narrative of culture. Does that make sense? And so I encourage you, take it to the Lord. I do not believe, God can use social media for his kingdom. We as a church are on social media. I'm not saying that's, that's what everyone needs to do. But I do think we need to ask ourselves, God, what information, what narrative, what do you want me to intake today? Amen? Okay, lastly. Jesus reveals himself to us in way more places than just prayer sets and church on Sunday. I believe what he's actually doing in the church is that he wants to make Christianity not just a Sunday and prayer set kind of experience. The, the church that's going to change the world is a church that's not just a Sunday only Christianity. 
The church that's going to change the world is a church that's living constantly in the spirit of wisdom and revelation. And oftentimes God is using people to reveal Jesus to us. We are all his body. Some of us are the hand. Some of us are the foot. Some of us are the knee. And so I encourage you, don't have this box that you're trying to even put your quiet time in. I encourage each and every one of you this week to open your day and start and saying, Lord, where is the spirit of wisdom and revelation exist for me today? Sometimes I pray, Lord, can it be on the river? Can it be on the golf course? Can it be at lunch with my friend? And sometimes he's yes, and then sometimes he's like, nope. Today it's two hours with me. Today it's five hours with me. Does that make sense? Come on, all right. What's the last thing? Oh yeah, this is good. Like my notes? Wow, insightful. So well organized. Ah, he's our daily bread and he's the living water. And he says, if you drink of me, you will never go thirsty. And I just felt like the Lord uh, in this season, I I think we're going to do communion every Sunday until Easter um, as just this reminder that he is our daily bread and he paid a very high price for each and every one of us to live in union and communion with him. Amen? And so for ministry time today, I just thought it would be so beautiful if we just as a church and as a body like took this together as we leave and just say, God, would you be our daily bread in this season? So will you just all stand and if you don't have a communion cup, um, there's, there's some over here by the sound booth. These things, I'm sure this is what they used in the early church. <laughs> styrofoam and, <laughs> styrofoam and, I don't know, cough medicine is what this tastes like. So, all right. So why don't you just take this body? This is the body of Christ. This is the body of Christ that is broken for you. So Lord, we thank you for your body that was broken for us. And we just receive this in remembrance of your body breaking. And we say, thank you, Lord, for being our daily bread. Let's take the juice. This is the blood that was shed for you. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the blood that you poured out. We thank you for the blood that has washed us white as snow. We remember your 
your death on the cross and your resurrection. And we, we take this juice in remembrance of the blood you shed for us. So let's just close our eyes. I'm just going to pray over all of us and then we can just uh, leave this place. But Lord, I thank you. I thank you for our church. I thank you, God, that you are doing a beautiful, beautiful work in River House where you are teaching us what it means to be ministers to you. I thank you, Lord, that the, the, the spirit of wisdom and revelation is in this room here and now. And we just say, Lord, we behold you to become like you. Would you transform us from one degree of glory to another? God, we as a church say yes to listening to the narrative that you're speaking over our lives more than the narrative of culture and the narrative of our souls. God, we say we don't want to be in bondage to our souls anymore. And Holy Spirit, I just even, everyone just stick out your arms. Lord, we receive healing. Lord, we receive healing to every traumatic part of our story that has informed the way that we live today. You say, Lord, would you deliver us from fear? Would you deliver us from abandonment issues? Holy Spirit, just reveal lies. Just reveal any lies that are holding us back from experiencing the fullness of what you paid for. Spirit, come. Remove shame that's a blinder to truth. Yeah. Yeah, and I just I just feel the Lord um saying if there's a there's a constant fear of like even finances over your life if you're really struggling with with financial fear because of traumatic upbringing the Lord wants to come and he wants to heal you that you have an inheritance that is in Christ Lord, come and heal those who didn't receive affection as children. 
God, come and heal anyone in the room of addiction. Come and heal, Lord. And I just declare over this room and over this house that we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. I say that wherever the enemy is trying to breathe division in our lives, wherever the enemy is trying to breathe hopelessness, we speak the hope that is you, Jesus, over each and every story, over each and every life that is in this room. We speak Jesus over this room, God. Let's just even end in intercession right now as a church. Just all of you know people who are so far from God. And just all of us right now as one church, as one people, just begin to declare hope over hopeless situations. Begin out loud. Use your voice. Use your voice. Lord Jesus, we declare joy. I know this feels awkward, but just out loud. Just let's enter into the spirit right now. Whether you need to pray in the spirit or whatever you need to do, just begin to pray out loud if you need to sing. Just begin to declare the truth that is Jesus. God, just over the addicted in our valley, we just speak hope, we speak healing, we speak joy, we speak life. Yes, God. Thank you that you're writing new narratives, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We pray for salvations, God. Pray for a church that is rich and glorious and a beautiful bride that is revealing the manifold wisdom of God into this valley, Lord. I pray that we as a church would be a church that releases the manifold wisdom of God. Thank you, Lord. Yeah. Yes, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Come on. All right, let's just close with singing, I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord.
Mr. Jesus, we love you. We worship you and all God's people said, amen. Awesome. If you need prayer, we're going to have the ministry team come on up. If you need healing in your body or anything, just invite the ministry up. Other than that, you are good to go.